Bibles this evening, and let's turn over to the Old Testament book of Amos. The Old Testament book of Amos. On some of our Sunday evenings, uh, we have been introducing uh, the what are called the minor prophets, minor only because of the length of their uh, ministry as recorded in the Bible, but they are uh, amazing preachers of the Word of God in the Old Testament. I have often encouraged uh, Bible students to give consideration to the prophets of the Old Testament. The Bible in the New Testament tells us that God gave us those Old Testament stories as examples for our life, our behavior, our operation as God's children in the New Testament. And uh, for those who are in ministry, especially a study of Old Testament preachers and how God used them to influence the culture and preach the Word of God to the people of their generations, become an amazing template for preachers of today to know how God directs His preachers to preach His Word to the people of that day. And so we're looking at some of the old uh, minor prophets on on some Sunday evenings, off and on, as we uh, have time, and this evening we're going. I want to introduce you to the um, the prophet Amos. He's the third prophet in in the order of Scripture, but we're looking at them in their order in which they appeared in history. And so Amos is the fourth of the minor prophets we've already considered. We've looked at Joel and Obadiah and Jonah. Uh, and we're just taking them in their chronological order. And I want to introduce Amos to you. I knew that we would be doing some other things tonight and maybe run a little short on time. So I want to just introduce you to a part of the book of Amos. And then we'll look more fully uh, a little bit later on uh, at uh, some of the contents of the book of Amos. But uh, I'm going to get you to turn over to Amos chapter 7. Uh, there's what is often called an historical interlude. Uh, in the middle of all of the sermons that he preached, uh, there is a, a, an interlude, if you please, from chapter 7, verse 10 to the end of the chapter that gives a little biographical sketch of something that happened to Amos. And it is a message we still need to hear today. The Word of God is so applicable to the day in which we live. And uh, Amos, as a preacher, had a message to deliver, and it wasn't well received in the place where God sent him to deliver it. Let's jump to the third slide on the PowerPoint. And um, the, in, in the first verse of Amos 1, and then some information elsewhere in the book of Amos, we can sketch together a little bit of Amos's life. Amos was a shepherd and a farmer. He was not a graduate of the School of the Prophets. He was a country boy who lived on the farm, watched livestock, and was a farmer. And, God's, and, and all of that was in Tekoa, just south of Bethlehem, in Tekoa, in the southern kingdom of Judah. That was his home. Now, Israel had broke away from the southern kingdom, as you know, after Solomon's son very unwisely dealt with his peers and the kingdom split. And they made Samaria their capital city, and they put a golden calf in Dan, and they put a golden calf in Bethel, those two towns. And uh, the king of that breakaway kingdom told the people 
There's no need to go to Jerusalem to worship Jehovah God. That's unreasonable. We need to find a more convenient way to worship God. So we're going to give you two locations, one in Dan, one in Bethel. They set up golden calves. When we went to Israel as a group, we went to Dan. We saw the very ruins of the altar upon which that golden calf stood and where the people of the northern kingdom gathered to be able to worship the idol that they had built. The southern one was Bethel. And so uh, Jeroboam uh, was centered in Samaria. He was uh, Israel's king, and as you saw in the little video clip, uh, heard on that, he was a, 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 one of the worst of the kings of the northern kingdom. And so God called this country farmer and gave him an assignment to cross the border and to go to the city of Bethel. city of Bethel was the summer palace for the king Jeroboam and also the location where the idol was that they worshipped. He was to go there and he was to deliver God's message to the people of that area. And there was a man by the name of Amaziah. He was the priest of the apostate worship of Israel located at Bethel. And so in the little historical interlude that we find in chapter 7, we have two preachers going head to head. We've got the leader of the apostate religion of idol worship of the northern kingdom of Israel. And we have a country preacher untrained as far as the school of the prophets was concerned, but called to come to this northern city, which was the center of their, of their worship, and to deliver a message that God wanted him to deliver to those people. And it didn't go well. They didn't receive his message. It was a difficult time for those who were trying to follow Jehovah God. There was a lot of opposition against the worship of God. There was a lot of opposition against the teachings of Jehovah God in the Old Testament. And so we have a clash of ideologies. We have a clash of culture. We have a, class of a clash of religion. We've got some preachers that are preaching a worldly, cultural, apostate religion. And we've got a preacher sent by God to deliver a very difficult message. How is he going to deal with this assignment from God? And I believe that, that the... The study of Amos' life, not only the messages that he preached, but also this little glimpse into the biography of his life and how he dealt with Amaziah, we have a great lesson for all of us as Christians today about how we deal with opposition against our Christianity. How do we deal with those who would, would characterize us as being so out of touch in our beliefs, so out of character with American culture and would be mocked and ridiculed for still believing some things that culture has long since relegated to the, uh, to the dinosaur age. How do we deal with that? And watching how Amaziah deals with that is an encouragement to me. And I have uh, uh, titled this this interlude in his life uh, as strength in certainty. There is strength when you know what is right. 
There is strength when you know what God said is true. And when you're opposed in that belief, and when you struggle with those who would mock you for believing what you believe, there is strength in your ability to go back to the Word of God and know that you know that you know that you know that this is what God said, this is God's truth, this is God's calling on my life, and that certainty builds strength to be able to stand against opposition in life. And so with, with kind of that in mind a little bit, I want you to notice a couple of things here in our text this evening. I want you to notice, first of all, the opposition that we face in verses 10 to 13. Verse number 10, the Bible says, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee. Amos hath conspired against thee. Here is the preacher of the false cultural religion saying to the political body that rules over the northern kingdom, this Christian is against you, Jeroboam, because of what he believes. That is a real opposition. That is not, uh, that is not uh, unheard of in America today when Christians are painted as being the enemies of our modern culture because of what Christians believe. And so this is opposition that he's facing. He said, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear his words, all his words. What a statement. We have to shut him up. We cannot allow him to continue. Our culture cannot bear the message he's preaching. He is going to hurt the next generation. He's going to hurt our country. This preacher has conspired against you, king, and we cannot bear his words. For thus Amos saith, and, and here's a quote from, from uh, Amos preaching. Amos preached, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. It's a pretty strong message. King, you're going to be killed, and an invading army is going to destroy our country and take us captive into another land. That was the message God gave Amos. That was the truth. That's what was going to happen. That's what actually did happen. Amos was preaching the truth as given by God, as God had given him to preach, and now it's being used to say that he is a problem there. So they're going to talk about Amos. They're going to take the things that he preaches, and they're only going to tell one side of it. They're only going to tell the part of it. If you go back to verse number 9 of this chapter, verse 9 says, the... Um, and this is Jeroboam, by the, or this is uh, Amos, by the way, preaching. Let me go back to verse 7. Uh, Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And then here's Amos. God has given him a vision. He, he sees this vision of God holding a plumb line. Now, you, you guys know what a plumb line is. Some of you ladies probably know what a plumb line is as well. 
a plumb line, and, and that's something, a device that would be used by a per, a ma, often a mason that's building a wall where they take an object and they attach it to a string and they hold the string up at a, at a, at a certain place and they let that weight hold that string. That string is going to be perfectly straight up and down because of gravity. It's not going to hang like that. It's not going to hang like that. It's going to hang perfect. So if they hold that, they can establish a perfectly straight vertical line. And God shows Amos that God is holding a plumb line beside Israel. A plumb line is used to determine if another vertical surface is plumb or not. Is it straight up and down or is it leaning? And God was taking the word of God, the only plumb line that is always straight up and down, the only plumb line that is always perfect, and God was holding a plumb line, the word of God, beside Israel to show how far Israel had deviated from God's word. And so the plumb line is identified. And verse 8, the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest I? He said, I see a plumb line. Then he said, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not again pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So Amos just preached what God told him to preach. But that preaching has got him in trouble. He, has, he, he is uh, being painted as one who is talking directly uh, about uh, Jeroboam, and he was. And so now they're using that against Amos. He also, they also attacked him for his beliefs and his preaching about the captivity that was to come. And, and, and we can read about that back in chapter 5. We're not going to do that tonight. But what, what Amos preached about the coming captivity with the Assyrians coming in and destroying the northern kingdom of Israel, that was twisted and parts of that was, was repeated and parts of it were left out. And uh, the twisted truths and the half-truths that were presented uh, are not unlike what is said today when, when we are accused of, of, uh, of preaching something that doesn't give the whole picture doesn't give the whole dynamic of what God has said in his word. So the, the opposition is, is going to be faced. In verse number 10, I'm sorry, verse number 12 and 13, uh, they're going to they're gonna attack directly. They're not only going to go to somebody else and tell somebody else what I believe as a Christian. They're going to come to me directly. And in verse number, let's see, uh, verse number 12, also Amaziah said unto Amos, so now he comes directly to Amos, and he said to Amos, O thou seer, which, which was a, an Old Testament word for a prophet, one who sees God's message and delivers it. Uh, o thou seer, go flee thee into the land of Judah. Go home. Go back to where you came from. Go back down to Judah where you came from. Eat bread and prophesy there, but prophesy not again anymore at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. And so Amaziah came directly to the Christian and said to the Christian, you can't talk about that anymore. You can't say that anymore. You need to just go home wherever you came from. Go find some place to live where what you believe will be accepted by the people who you live around and then preach your sermons there. But they're not welcome here. Go home, preacher. 
Go back to where you came from and talk about what you believe back to your home folk. No more here in this area. When I was in Canada, I, 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 Amos was my favorite minor prophet preacher because I had, I, I'm a country boy. My roots go back into West Virginia. I was born and raised in Virginia on a gravel road here in northern Virginia back when Guinea Road was a gravel road. Uh, I mean, we had dairy cattle on two sides of us, black agons, beef cattle beside us, 400 acres of woods across the gravel road. We were country folk. And God sent me up to sophisticated northern North America, up to Canada. And so I relate, I felt I related to Amos, the southern country boy sent to the educated north and it was insinuated once or twice that I needed to go back home. <laughs> Preach what you believe back home rather than up here in the educated north. I related. I felt like I was akin to Amos. You see, there is opposition that we face in our country and in our culture today. There are those who will want us to be quiet, to not talk about what the Bible says. To not talk about what we believe. It's no longer welcome in our culture. How's Amos going to handle this? How is he going to respond to this? How do you handle such opposition? I want you to notice not only the opposition, opposition you face. But I want you to also notice the determination that you need at times like that. In verse number 14, Amos answers. Then answered Amos, said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. So I didn't go to the school of prophets. I wasn't educated to be a preacher. My dad wasn't a preacher. I was just a, I was just a herdsman. I, I took care of the goats and the sheep. I was just a gatherer of sycamore fruit. I just managed a farm and collected sycamore fruit all from the the sycamore trees. Verse 15, And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Amos knew that what he was doing was what God told him to do. There was a determination. I wasn't trained for this. This didn't come from my dad. I'm just a country boy. But God gave me an instruction. God gave me a message. God gave me a location. God told me what I was to do. And I know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know that I know that I know that I know that what I'm doing here in Bethel and the message that I'm preaching to the people in Bethel is exactly what God told me to do. I want you to see the power of certainty. The determination that certainty breeds in us. You see, this is, this is one of the great dangers of raising a generation that don't know their Bible. Raising a generation that don't know what the Bible says about the issues our world faces. What does the world say about gender? What does the world uh, the, the word of God say about, about marriage? What does the Bible say about, and, and just any of the, the big issues, just tack it on the end of the question, what does God's word say? And if God's people don't know what God's word says, 
if their level of understanding of the word of God is an inch deep, if they don't know where in the Bible they're taught this or where in the Bible they're taught that, and they have no certainty, they have no assurance that what someone taught them is actually true because they've never dug into the word of God themselves and they lack the determination that comes from the certainty that this is what God said, I've read it for myself, I know that I know that I know that this is the truth of God. Then they're, they're primed for the picking by the devil's crowd. The suggestions, that that's not really what God said. Where does it say that? How do you know that's not, not just your cultural interpretation of the Bible? And then all of a sudden people begin to doubt and wonder. How do we face opposition? We face opposition with the determination that comes from a certainty that I know, that I know, that I know my Bible. I know what God says. I know what God's Word teaches. And that has built into me a determination to do what God tells me to do. He said, God took me from, from the flock. God gave me a place to go. Verse 16, now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest prophesy not against Israel and drop not thy word against the house of Israel, the house of Isaac. Therefore thus saith the Lord. And then Amos pronounced to Amaziah the message of God. You tell me not to preach anymore? Here's what I have to say to you. And we come to the determination to deliver a condemnation that was very severe. Here's what Amos said to Amaziah. Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city. And thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword. And thy land shall be divided by line. And thou shalt die in a polluted land. And Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his, of his land. That's a pretty tough message. That's a pretty tough message to deliver. Amos, how can you deliver hard messages like that? How can you face the opposition of a king and the opposition of a false preacher, a false prophet, who's well known in that community? You're an outsider, came from a country, you're a country bumpkin from the south, and you've come into our sophisticated land of Bethel, of uh, city of Bethel, and, and, and you're addressing a well-known preacher amongst the people of Bethel, and, and how are you going to handle that? I'd be so intimidated. And Amos said, I know what God told me to tell you. And you can tell me not to say it all day long. But that doesn't change the fact that I know in my heart, this is what God told me to tell you. And he told them what God told him to tell them. Now, I examine preachers like this in the Bible, and, and, and I try to learn from them. Because there are times in, in our modern world where preachers are encouraged to soften it down. To water it down. Don't preach on things that you know people are going to be uncomfortable with. Preachers are taught 
in church growth seminars to never preach a message that will leave anyone feeling guilty. I've listened to homiletic material taught by gurus of the church growth movement teaching preacher boys how to be successful in America. I listened to one homiletics program where the well-known preacher, huge in his notoriety in the, the books of probably a millionaire off just the books that he's written and sold. And he, he was very honest with, with his students in, in telling them what he thought as a philosophy of ministry. He said, don't ever preach on sin. Don't ever mention the word sin. Don't, don't ever preach anything that will cause anyone to feel uncomfortable or guilty. If they're guilty, they won't come back next Sunday. You'll never build a church making people feel guilty. Therefore, water it down, soften the message, make it palatable, cause people to feel good as a result of the ministry of the Word of God, and then they'll come, and they'll come back, and they'll come back, and you'll build a church. And then I go to the Word of God, and I look at preachers in the Word of God, and I say, God, what did you say about preachers? What examples do I have in the Word of God to follow? What does the Word of God say about the responsibility of a preacher to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God? To preach what God said, even if it's uncomfortable, the content of the message. I'm not talking about, the, I know, you know, I've, I've uh, uh, I'm been preaching for 46 years, I guess now. I know in my early ministry uh, that, that I, I could uh, slip into the mode of just being ornery. You say, forget the younger preaching. <laughs> How about now? And I know that I, I could, that there is a very real danger of the presentation being inappropriate that hinders the ability of people to hear the message. And, and that's something that, uh, that is always a concern of mine in my life and the lives of others that I observe. And, and I don't want the presentation of the message to in any way hinder the receptivity of the message. But I also know that if I ever change the message to make it recept more receptive, to make it easier to be received, then I have turned my back on the instructions I read in the Word of God to a preacher's responsibility to preach the truth of God even when the message is difficult to be heard, the content of the message. Amos is an example to me of someone who was able to withstand opposition from his environment because he knew for sure what God said. And the commitment to truth trumps the desire to be popular. The commitment to thus saith the Lord is more important than whether I'm appreciated or liked. That always has to be the bottom line for every generation of Christians. We have to know what God says. And that knowledge of what God says has to drive us. A commitment to truth a commitment to God, a commitment to the will of God that 
doesn't allow me to cut corners on truth to be better liked by a culture that has rejected that truth. Amos, to me, is one of the great examples of that in the Old Testament. Lord willing, we'll, we'll take another message and just have a little bit of an overview of, of what uh, Amos, the book of Amos contains as far as his messages. Uh, some very interesting things that I learned uh, about preaching uh, from Amos. But I'm really struck by his determination to do what God told him to do in the face of severe opposition from those to whom he preached. God help us to be a people for whom truth is the dividing line and it drives us in our worship and service of Jesus Christ.